Welcome to the Directions Mag Geo Inspirations podcast series with Joseph Kursky. Well, greetings, folks. Welcome to another installment of Geo Inspirations with Directions Magazine. Uh, Joseph Kursky here. So glad that you're joining us today. I'm, I'm very pleased to announce that I'm here with one of my all-time favorite colleagues, Erica Close. And Erica, welcome to Geo Inspirations. Well, thank you, Joseph. I'm so excited to be here. Uh, I think the listeners are really going to love hearing your journey, your story, and I think many people actually know you in the science, geography, geospatial education community, but just for the benefit of those especially who aren't familiar with you, could you explain, first of all, what your position is now and a little bit about how you journeyed to that position? Sure. Um, it might be a little hard to say just a little bit about my journey, but I, I will do my very best. So I am now currently, uh, I work for the West Virginia Department of Education. I am an assistant director in our Office of Middle and Secondary Learning, uh, which is in our Division of Teaching and Learning. So we coordinate standards for instruction for all instructional um, areas. We have a number of coordinators within our office that each have um, different specialties. I, in my current position, among other things that I do, I coordinate computer science, I coordinate our statewide STEM initiatives, and then I coordinate all of our GIS. So it's, uh, it's an exciting place to be. It's a place mm-hmm. where I'm working really hard to try and affect some you know, positive change and do really some things that are best for our students in the state. And uh, it's, it's exciting. It's a good place to be. Well, one of the things I respect the most about you, Erica, is that you're always about the students. You're all, you've always been about effective teaching and learning, research, and more. And I hope to unpack a little bit of that with you today. But anyway, much, much uh, kudos for your position there. I'm, I'm sure you're making a positive difference. And having known you for these years, I know you're making a positive difference. What about, uh, yeah, you, you, you kind of touched on this. You, you have a really fascinating journey. That's one of the reasons why I wanted to have you on here today. But if you could tell us a little bit about that journey, that would be wonderful. Well, I would love to. So I think that when I think back on my journey, one of the things that's so exciting to me is that I can see where so often in life we have plans and then things happen in our lives and something better comes along than when we, we could mm-hmm. ever have hoped for. Um, you know, when I went to college, I had a plan and I was going to study art and art history. And I had a whole, you know, postgraduate plan related to that. And then I took this class in geology and uh, specifically in natural disasters and absolutely fell in love with geology. I fell in love with um, the, the topic. I fell in love with our department. I fell in love with all the technology that we used. And it, it absolutely just completely changed my path. So I did an undergraduate degree in geology. I went straight into a master's program in uh, geology and geophysics. And when I was in that program, I took my very first class in GIS. And that was a long, long time ago. Um, so we're talking sort of like arc info days, but mm-hmm. um, it re- I, I saw the power in it and you know used it a small amount. But what was interesting to me was right after that, when I started looking for a job, I actually got 
a internship with the U.S. Geological Survey in Woods Hole, Massachusetts. And I really believe that what pushed me over the, um, you know, over above other candidates when I was applying for that was the fact that I had a course in GIS because what that position very quickly became was a straight GIS position. I mean, we were investigating a, you know, a geologic issue. It was a project all about uh, sea level rise, but the entire foundation of that project was GIS. So I worked in GIS and then in seafloor mapping for the USGS for about seven years. And then while I was working there, having a wonderful time, I started doing all of the outreach for our office. And I started going into schools, specifically in the middle schools, and working with students and taking, you know, doing different activities with them related to geology and mapping and remote sensing, things like that. And I would leave there at the end of the day and I would be so exhausted, but I would feel, I would have such a sense of accomplishment. I would really say, you know, be able to say, wow, mm -hmm. I did something today. And I listened, I finally listened to that. And I think that was really my, my teacher heart that was kind of shouting saying, you need to do this. So, um, so I did it. So I went back to school and did a master's in teaching, which was, you know, one of the pathways that allowed me to get my teacher certification. And um, in that time period, moved from Massachusetts to West Virginia, which was another fabulous decision. And uh, I really, continental drift, Erica. Continental yeah, exactly. drift. Exactly. I love it here. Um, and then I, you know, went straight into the classroom. So I taught for 10 years at uh, Winfield Middle School. I taught mostly seventh grade, which had lots of earth science in it and had, you know, just a wonderful time teaching. Um, within that time, actually, this is kind of neat, 10 years and two days ago, our, the state of West Virginia got their Esri educational license. Oh and, my, Can, I remember that day. There was yeah, a big announcement. It was a big announcement. I got an email about it as an educator and was so excited. I think I got, that was in December and I think I actually got my hands on the software the following um, summer. But about the time I got my hands on the software, it became clear that, they that the State Department of Ed really needed some support in kind of launching this initiative. So I ended up um, doing a lot of professional development for our State Department of Education in GIS while I was still teaching in the classroom. And so I had a wonderful opportunity to really get to know how the Department of Ed worked while staying in the classroom and was able to really go out and work with a lot of educators and um, grow GIS within the state. And then, um, then a job came open here at the State Department of Ed and I thought really long and hard about it and, and I applied. So I've been here for about a year and a half and um, started out as a, as a coordinator working solely with um, STEM and GIS. And now I have a, I'm in a director position, but I still get to do STEM and GIS and um, work with computer science. So I have a lot of opportunities to work with a lot of people. And something mm -hmm. that I love is that I can show them how GIS really fits into all of what we do. Which actually leads me to a kind of a corollary question, Erica, and that is uh, knowing how passionate you are about geospatial, but 
you're curious and you have expertise in lots of different areas, how much of your current position are you able to focus, I'm realizing that GIS touches on a lot of different core disciplines, earth science and uh, mathematics, et cetera, but how, how, how much in your position are you able to sort of promote the use of geospatial technology in the state's education uh, institutions? The, the answer is not enough. I would love <laughs> to be able to, you know, to do, to, to, to have that be my sole job. That would be great. But, um, but it's, it's, unfortunately, it's not the reality of what I can do, you know, all the time. But at the same time, you know, I am be, I'm in a position now where I'm able to show our, all of our content coordinators how they can use GIS. So if I, you know, I did some training um, last summer with, um, our, with a, like a math team and um, did some professional development for teachers and our, our, all of our math folks were sort of watching me deliver um, a PD on the math geo inquiries and they just absolutely loved them. They, they were completely mm -hmm. sold. So, you know, one of the things that I'm working really hard on right now is making sure all of our content coordinators are sharing these resources with educators. So I don't get to do it enough, but I'm in a position now where I'm able to really work at replicating myself because the reality was in the beginning, there, there really wasn't, there was just me, but mm -hmm. now I'm in a position where we have a whole lot more going on. So even if there's things I can't do, I'm able to bring in folks who can and bring in some more programs and resources um, for our teachers. And, and that being said, if there is something that I want to share, you know, I can send it out, you know, to a whole lot of teachers really quickly from the position that I'm in. A couple things come to mind. It's, I know a lot of listeners to Geo Inspirations are very passionate about geotechnologies, science, geography, and they want to be able to be more effective in spreading the word, raising awareness, doing educator professional development, etc. And one of the reasons why I wanted them to hear your story is so that for them to take heart that there is a way to build consensus. Now, the, the typical listener of this is not in the position that you're in, but knowing that there are different pathways into this and also ways that you can um, get some support uh, if you're passionate about something and you work tirelessly at it for years, like you've done, Erica, that it can happen. And so it's very encouraging. Uh, you know, I was I was personally very, you know, kind of torn when you got your position at the at the uh, state because I thought, oh, those middle school students here, they've got a, a Woods Hole scientist as a teacher. What a great thrill. But then on the other hand, I was thinking, yeah, but, you know, Erica's going to be able to be, influence all kinds of different students and teachers through this new position. So it was ultimately good. And since you and I are both in education, right, we'd never want to discourage people from follow, following their dreams. And I just think that this pathway of yours is fascinating. And I, I did not know about the art history uh, part of your background <laughs> at that goal. Now, what do you think about this, knowing that you can't really, and you don't really want to completely crush and bury your early, you know, interests. What do you think about some of the new, you know, customized vector tiles and things like that, that you can actually bring in some, you know, story maps, you can bring some creativity into GIS. Isn't that kind of a, a neat thing for you to have stuck around in GIS for a while now? Some of that stuff is maybe you're able to do or as you couldn't do that 25 years ago? Oh my goodness. It's amazing now. And that my, the artist in me absolutely mm -hmm. <laughs> loves this. And, you know, we, we have this constant sort of conversation. I, I think everybody does about 
STEM and STEAM and STREAM and, you know, all those different acronyms and mm-hmm. there's so many acronyms. I think that like all the acronyms are losing their meaning. Um, I give uh, kind of a STEM STEAM presentation often. And in that presentation, I tell a story about that very first job, specific project I did when I got my job at the USGS, because that was basically my first big GIS project. But as I stepped through that project, I did all of the aspects really of STEAM. It's a great way of showing how when we do STEM or when we do STEAM, we may not use every single letter at every single moment of a process, but the reality is we use them all, you know, throughout a project. Mm-hmm. And that project in, in particular is a great one to present to educators because we did all this mapping and we had all this data, but literally then we had this, this equation that we put all of these index variables through to, to get another index variable. So there was actual math that I can show. And look, here's, we did mm-hmm. math. Uh, the computer didn't, I mean, we did math. And, um, you know, it's a great story. And then at the end, you know, of that project, we had to create a publication that needed to tell a story and, you know, be convincing. And, you know, there was so much design in that. I mean, now telling the same story in an era of, story maps and, you know, all the ways that you can display data that is so much more attractive than it was, you know, in 1999. Um, oh my goodness, 1999. Um, you know, it's, it's a different, we're in a different era, I think, of just capabilities. It's amazing. But sort of the story is the same. So I tell that story a lot. actually. Mm-hmm. And isn't it interesting that uh, you, I, others were in, in, that, that were involved with GIS and education were really doing STEM before STEM was even an acronym. But then when, when the whole STEM wave, if you will, came along, we were saying, hey, GIS, geospatial technology, spatial thinking, critical thinking, that has always been cross-disciplinary, right? We never have focused on just one. We may have come from different uh, you know, backgrounds, and indeed, as you know, in the literature, you can point to early adopters of GIS in education in the primary, secondary arena, and then also at the university level. And most of them actually were from science. It wasn't until a bit later that the geography teachers especially came around to, to using it for a variety of, of valid reasons. But those early adopters were really uh, in biology, um, earth science teachers, and, and others were maybe a, a bit more used to using computers a little bit, you know, and they were clunky back then. It, was, it wasn't an easy thing, maybe a bit more used to experimenting, things like that. And another thing that comes to mind, Erica, as you were talking with your seafloor mapping background, you must be loving things like the... Um, uh, ecological marine units and the other layers that are just now at our fingertips. Oh my goodness. It's, it's amazing what you, what you can see and even things that are so simple. Like I just remember, you know, I don't remember when this was however many years ago, but when the ocean's base map came out Mm -hmm. and there was just so much more easily accessible detail. And I was in the classroom when that happened. And I remember you know, having, you know, being up, being up in front of a class and, and teaching with, with GIS, talking about that, about just data and resolution. And I remember just flipping over 
to the ocean's base map. And I remember them, all these kids just being like, whoa. It's not just an expanse of blue. <laughs> right, right. And, you know, I think that that, you know, the detail, the level of detail that is available really is amazing. And, you know, with so many tools like the Living Atlas and things like that, where everything is just right there for you. You know, it's, it's a totally different time of learning to teach with GIS. I mean, when we got that statewide license 10 years ago, you know, it was a mm -hmm. completely different story. And so many things that have happened since then, you know, have been so exciting. And, you know, my whole, I felt like my whole push as I was working with GIS um, here was just discovering barriers. You know, what were the barriers? What was keeping teachers from actually using GIS in their teaching and then figuring out how to break down those barriers. And that's been my whole, my whole goal, but it's really exciting now because the barriers are just getting lesser and lesser and lesser as the technology uh, and the capabilities increase. Indeed. There are some, there's still some, a few tech barriers, but like you say, many of them, not all of them, but many of them many. have been, have been reduced. The, the challenges now seem to be still, uh, you know, how do I integrate my curriculum, uh, time, um, show me the value of this, awareness, and other things. But uh, like you say, uh, it is amazing how things have rapidly evolved. Now we're, it, you know, by the time this uh, interview gets published, it'll be 2020. And it'll be, you know, speaking of 10 years ago, I distinctly remember a institute I taught in 2010. So 10 years ago, it was the first multi-day institute where I decided, Joseph, you're just going to, you should just focus on web-based tools. You're just going to conduct the whole institute with just web-based mapping tools. And I thought, ah, this is going to be really challenging, but I can do it. I, you know, and that was the first time I'd ever done the whole thing with, I mean, you know, at the time it was nationalatlas.gov. It was, um, early stages of ArcGIS online. Um, it was uh, census mapping tools and, you know, a variety of things, but the whole idea of doing this with completely, you know, online was, was, it was scary, but it was pretty re revolutionary. It was only 10 years ago. It seems like a lifetime ago. Um, but yes, just for the benefit of the listeners, the one of the layers that uh, I was referring to earlier was the that ecological marine units where you've got 10 kilometers, isn't it, Erica? 10 kilometer resolution, and you've got a column of different water, uh, uh, dissolved oxygen, pH, uh, temperature, et cetera, all the way down to the floor, the, these columns. So, yeah, that's just one of the many examples, like you said, in the uh, Living Atlas and in other uh, resources. Here's uh, something that you touched on a bit ago um, with the classes and the journey that you were on. But, uh, Erica, I'm wondering, was there a person that stands out in your journey forward that, that inspired you in some way? There have been so many people that have been, you know, so, so important all along the way. And I think that, you know, as I've gone into different, you know, areas, different, you know, different people have become, you know, more, more and more, um, important and have had sort of a greater influence, mm -hmm. um, you know, but it's interesting, you know, as I think about that question, I, I had, I had this thought earlier today, I was completely thinking about something else, but I was thinking about, um, you know, my, my dad was a teacher and obviously when I went into geology, I was not thinking that I was going to be a teacher. 
but he really was an incredible teacher and mm-hmm. you know, he taught photography uh, at a community cool. college. And yeah. He, he, he was really cool <laughs> and um, seriously cool. And, and, and he was, he, you know, he loved, he loved his students. Well, they loved him. I mean, he was just the kind of educator that I think we all want to be. And what's interesting is because I did not have that, you know, desire at the time to really be a teacher. I wasn't sort of looking to him, you know, as a model, but Mm -hmm. then when I did become, um, look at becoming a teacher, you know, unfortunately he had passed away before that ever happened. Mm -hmm. But, you know, I think that, you know, he just has such a strong, uh, work ethic. He always said, you know, if you're going to do something, you have to do it the very best that you can do it. Like whatever you do, you just Uh have to do it the very best that you're going to do it. And, you know, couple that with, you know, just a a personality that is just all about, you know, the people in the room. And I think that, you know, in whatever job I've been in, you know, especially since entering education, you know, it's about the people in the room. It's about the kids in the room that, you know, you are blessed to spend that next hour with. You know, it's about Mm -hmm. the educators, you know, that are in the room that you get to share your favorite technology with. Um, You know, it's about the colleagues in the room that you, you know, you get to, you get to figure out, you know, the next problem with. And I just think that, you know, that, that idea of, you know, just being, being the teacher in whatever role you're in, you know, and being about the people in the room, that's just something that's always I think was instilled in me and has always been really important to me. Well, I appreciate you sharing that. Isn't it interesting that, um, you know, as time goes on and we think about projects and and people that we've worked with, it's the people that kind of bubble up more than the projects. Like if I, if you asked me, hey, Joseph, what were you doing, you know, 10 years ago when the decade was changing? Well, maybe I was, I was preparing for this three-day web web GIS Institute, web mapping Institute. But in terms of what I was doing that particular month, I'm not really sure what I was doing. I mean, it was in the field, you know, doing this stuff, but uh, yeah, the people, and that's, what's so great about, you know, working in science, geography, geospatial education, the people are just so wonderful, aren't they, uh, Erica? You know, you never encounter people that are, oh, I'm not going to share my, my wisdom, my knowledge, my data, my methods with you. It, on the contrary, it's always, how can I help you be successful? That's what I love about this community. So I agree with you. We're st- kind of standing on the shoulders of giants. <laughs> I think we really are. And I, I have to say, and, you know, I'm not trying to, you know, to say anything, but I feel like this community in particular, this geospatial community is one of the you know, most, I don't know if, I mean, it's kind, it is a kind community, mm-hmm. but it is a community of people who really want to share. And I think when that community, you know, this really caring community, you know, perhaps it's because we're always looking at the earth. We're always, you know, investigating mm-hmm. this world we live in, you know, we're, we're very focused on that. But I think that when that sort of wonderful geospatial mindset gets, attached to, you know, that teacher heart, I think that, you know, really great things happen. And I think that the, the, you know, the geospatial education community has been incredibly supportive and 
influential in my, you know, in my time, certainly since I entered the classroom, because I entered the classroom in 2008, we got the statewide license in 2009, and I was immediately mm -hmm. plugged into the community. I mean, I guess I met you, that's when I met you, you know, and I <laughs> think that immediately getting plugged into that community really, you know, provided tremendous support for me. And, you know, if, if that hadn't happened, you know, if I hadn't gotten plugged into this community and been, you know, you know, tasked with sharing uh, GIS with, you know, our educational community here, you know, I don't, who knows what my path would have been. So this community is just such an incredibly supportive community. And I've never felt like I was, you know, the only one I may have sometimes felt like the, you know, the lone wolf in West Virginia, <laughs> but I never felt alone. Mm -hmm. Because this, this geospatial education community is such a strong, supportive community. I completely agree. Um, you know, ever since I discovered the community as well, I've never wanted to be in any other community. Um, you know, the nice thing is that we do get to work with people in a diversity of backgrounds these days. There are people coming into GIS, uh, geospatial technology from, you know, sociology, uh, from from a business, right? From from health, and and it's great to have a growing uh, pool of of people with different backgrounds. And so it's nice to be able to work with those folks. But uh, like you say, I think it's I think it touches on you know we yeah we definitely care about the planet. There's this Earth ethic that the community has that hey we don't have any time to waste. We really need to. Be, this is more than just you know a nice career to have and good people. It is imperative that we empower people to think critically and spatially about local to global issues. Yeah, absolutely. Right. Another thing you touched on, I can personally relate to, my mom was a teacher, um, lifelong teacher. And so I would see her grading papers every night, you know, and interacting with the students um, uh, through, you know, looking at their, at their papers and things like that. And then occasionally I get to observe her in the classroom and that, that made a big impression on me. But kind of like you, I actually didn't, I, education was really not in my plan. I, want, I knew I wanted to be a geographer I knew I loved making maps and working with data, uh, but it, it, again, it's kind of, it, this is kind of, in a way, very, very similar to, to you at the USGS. So when I was at the USGS, you know, I was on this path of, okay, being, well, I was at NOAA and Census Bureau before then, but always as a geographer, you know, working with um, uh, data and producing data sets and things like that. And sort of about halfway through my USGS tenure, I, yeah, started visiting schools. I started doing a lot more trainings. I'm like, I really love this education aspect. So, uh, yeah, it's, 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 it's it really interesting that uh, you and I, we didn't intersect at the USGS, but we kind of were pull, both pulled into, into education while we were there. And when you look at the history of that agency, as you well know, but just for the benefit of the listeners, uh, John Wesley Powell, the first well, the second director of the USGS, but one of the early pioneers, of course, was a public school teacher for nine years before he, you know, went down the Colorado River and did all this exploration. So there's always been a, a good education and research dual component with that agency and with many other agencies as well that we could talk about, you know, the founding of NOAA, et cetera, the Forest Service and other good, good agencies. Um, so anyway, thanks for sharing all of that. Another thing I wanted to ask you um, is the following. You touched on it a little bit with your sort of forward thinking, but do you have any advice for folks that are new to to this area, mapping, science, education, GIS, and or, 
you know, maybe thread it in there. Where do you think we need to go with this? You know, new decade, what, what, what do we need to be working on and focusing on? If I focus just on, you know, on the, on the mapping, on the mapping aspect, you know, folks that are, that are new to that, you know, it's really interesting. I just had a, a former student reach out and tell me that they're in, they're in GIS and they, they were looking for some advice. And, you know, thankfully I have, you know, a community of GIS people. I think that my advice is sort of always find your people. Um, you know, here in West Virginia, we've got a really strong association of geospatial professionals that, you know, that meet every year and that talk and that share resources and share ideas. And again, it's a strong community. And I think that uh, within, you know, those that are entering, you know, mapping in GIS, I feel like you've, you've got to find your community. And, you know, I think that the same thing you know, if somebody is going into the sciences, I think it's the same thing. You find, you find your passion and you find the thing that you're really interested in. And, and you need to not be afraid to follow that. I mean, I remember when my, um, when I finally made that decision to go from being an art major to being a science major, you know, that was a really Mm, big decision. mm -hmm. You know, I always say that I think my father cried because I left, you know, the arts, but I think my mom cheered because she thought I might actually make some money. And, <laughs> you know, I think, um, you know, but I think that, you know, that was a scary decision. But at the same time, I think we need to, we need to not be afraid to make scary decisions. And, you know, if someone were entering, you know, the field of education right now, you know, I think that number one, I would give them a huge hug. Um, and, you know, then after that, <laughs> you know, I would say, you know, you find, you've got to find your community and you've got to find, you know, those amazing educators that are in all these schools that we have that just, that just are there for, you know, all the reasons that we want educators to be there that are there because they just love children and they want to make a difference in their lives and they want to prepare them for whatever that future might be. You know, I think that we're at this really amazing time in education where things are changing so quickly and so much information is just so accessible that what we do with students is, is, you know, is changing. I mean, we have to be able, they have to be taught how to think and evaluate information and distill mm-hmm. all this information that's coming at them. And I think that, you know, it's, it's a, it's a kind of an, it's kind of a new day. It's kind of like the, the, the call, the purpose hasn't changed, but you know, we're always going to prepare, be preparing kids, you know, so that they can have be successful in their futures. But at the same time, um, I think some of the ways that we need to do that has to shift. We really have to, have to teach them how to think and how to evaluate, you know, all the, all that's coming at them. I think that GIS is a tremendous tool for doing that. And I think that that's something that I really push a lot is that I teach it as I teach, when I teach it, I'm teaching it as this is an amazing tool to get students into a position where they can make decisions, where they can evaluate, you know, data, where they can look at problems and solve problems. And I think that, you know, it's not something that, that we can let go. It's really a tool we need to incorporate. Yeah, totally agree with you, Erica. The, 
idea of using GIS just to teach GIS skills uh, while some detractors over the years have said you're just teaching you know people how to push buttons that's never been the idea of anybody that I know that's ever been involved with uh, geospatial education we are always about a teaching critical and think uh, critical thinking skills um, working with data skills presenting skills right communicating mm -hmm. your results of your research um, and then also though while we're teaching the you know the buffering or the geocoding or whatever you're you know that's just a, a a tool to enable a greater goal the greater goal is to you understand more about natural hazards or population change or watersheds or or energy or you, you know what I mean eco regions you know you name it right it's always about the content and sure you're using a, a tool but it's never even if you're in a GIS course, right, which I know you and I have taught over the years as well, even if you're in a GIS course where your goal is really to learn, to, to help people learn GIS, you're still, every one of those lessons is embedded in some real place, some real issue. So you're still teaching content, even in a GIS course, which I think is wonderful. And that's, that's one of the reasons why, yeah, I've never gotten bored or tired of it over all these years. Mm -hmm. it's, it's not something that's ever boring. You know, I think that, you know, one of the things that's been so exciting to me just in the last year or so has been to be able to share uh, GIS with people here at the department that are actually making a lot of really important decisions. And, you know, I think that whenever you can show someone what you can really do with a GIS, it's just so fun because you can see them get it. I mean, just like you see a kid have their light bulb moment. You know, when you can show even an adult, you know, the power of a GIS, you know, they have those light bulb moments. And I think that, you know, that's what, that's what needs to happen. We need to see the power of it, you know, all over and it, and it will, it will grow in schools. And that's, that's what I'm trying to do. We have such respect for you in the community, Erica, all of your accomplishments. And um, the, the, the journey is really a fascinating one. And one of the things I'd like to sort of pull out of that is just for the benefit of, you know, you folks that are listening to this, that you're like, you know, hey, I love science. I love art. I love education. Can I have some sort of career where I'm touching on all of those things? Um, well, you know, look at Erica's pathway. You don't have to follow exactly Erica's pathway. But I think one of the things that, um, you know, she's showing is that, A, don't be afraid to, in some ways, switch gears at certain points in your career, right? Uh, I think that you've well exemplified that. Don't be afraid to take risks, um, stre you know, stretch, uh, go out you know, on something that, okay, I didn't really have this plan, but, but I'm feeling pulled into this direction. And, you know, don't be afraid to go there. And, and just on a personal note, too, Erica, you know, when I left the USGS, um, and I was basically there from like the Cretaceous to the Holocene. So, you know, a usually <laughs> long period of time. Uh, and I really love that agency and I still do. It's got such a rich history, a deep history and so on. And I love NOAA and I love Census Bureau, but it was like, can I keep growing here or do I join the ESRI education industry team? And so, you know, it, it was a scary thing, even though, um, you know, there were many good things the, the pull factors, the push factors, um, it was still scary, but I'm glad I did it. And I'm glad for all of those, uh, the changes that I've had, even though going through them, sometimes you're, I was a little bit nervous about, about those changes and, you know, new people, new, new environment and all that kind of stuff. 
But uh, like you say, you feel really supported uh, by the community in, in different positions within that community. So I think that's, that's another good, you know, sort of reassurance for the listeners that, yeah, okay, but rest assured, you're going to be with good people. If you're, if you're in this broad field of, you know, looking at the earth, you're not going to be with people that are, that are really abrasive, right? That are, <laughs> that are, that they won't share data, that they won't share helping you out. Oh my gosh. Yes, absolutely. All right, Erica, we're kind of, you know, I'm being sensitive to your time here and coming, coming up to the sort of the end of, of our time together. But do you have a favorite, oh gosh, how do I put this? A favorite map, a favorite book, a favorite resource that you wanted to share with people? Oh my goodness. You know, I, I, I don't, I'm trying to think of a favorite map. You know, there are so many maps that I have always just loved to be able to sit and, and look at. Um, but I'm going to share an old USGS map just because I have a funny story now that goes with it. There's a USGS map that's called a tapestry of time. Oh my gosh. I love that map. Yes. And I always, I, it, that map was everywhere. That map was in my mm -hmm. undergrad. That map was in my graduate school work. When I worked at the USGS, that map was there. I took a copy to my classroom. It hung in my classroom until it basically got destroyed. But it was so funny <laughs> because I went to a bookstore here in Charleston, West Virginia, not long ago. And I had never been there before. And they have a coffee shop in there. And I was meeting someone for a meeting there. And I went in, I got my coffee and I turned around and there, and there was a framed <laughs> copy of that map. And I just was, I was just so excited because I was like, look at that. Even in this position, I get to go sit under that map. And, you know, so it's, you know, it's a wonderful map. You know, it's probably not the most exciting map in the world, but it's just a map that has, you know, really always kind of been, always kind of been, been present. I believe that the base map for that was the Thielen and Pike 1992 um, first map that was ever made from a from a, the NED data, the National Elevation Data Set, which mm -hmm. was, of course, compiled from uh, thousands of D individual DEMs, digital elevation models. And so, yeah, I, I too love that map because you can see uh, the Coteau de Prere, the, the Sutter Buttes in California, the Llano Estacado. I mean, yeah, you and I could go on for quite a while about these uh, wonderful resources, but isn't it amazing that, um, you know, from having a, a seamless digital elevation map um, was such a breakthrough, and yet we've only just begun, right? I feel like we're, we're just getting rolling with, with all the exciting developments, and, and it, it gives us great hope for the future, right, Erica? I mean, knowing that there are, like you touched on, good people, good tools, good data, um, we can solve these these complex vexing problems of our 21st century world. We we, we can. We can, and I mm -hmm. think that that's one of the things you know that that I have a lot of hope about is that we can solve these problems, and it is getting easier just because we can we can share, we can look at data in so many different ways. You know, there's never just one way to do something, and I mm -hmm. think that you know the things are really opening up. There's a lot that we can do now, and I'm excited to see what happens. Oh, it's, it's, it is going to be an exciting decade for sure. Uh, and it's good to have colleagues like you that are changing the world for the better, Erica. So thanks for being with us here on the Geo Inspirations column. 
seriously, it was, it was such a great honor. I know how busy you are, and so appreciate the time that you've spent with us, and um, wish you all continued success for the future. Well, thank you, Joseph, and thank you for all of your support and inspiration over the years. Oh, it's a huge honor. Thank you.